Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome to the last lap podcast. Welcome everybody to the Last Lap Podcast. I'm your host Andrew Pearson and alongside me as always is my co-host Sean Gray. Hello. This is the Last Lap Podcast. If the Red Bulls don't go well at the Austrian circuit, which they own, and the McLarens don't go well at the Japanese circuit, which their Honda own, can we get Mercedes to buy all the other tracks on the calendar? <laughs> yes, I like it. <laughs> it's good thinking. Yeah, see? Or, or we could just hold every Grand Prix at Monza. How does that sound? <laughs> yeah. Less excited about that. Um, so we are talking everything uh, easy peasy, Japanesey this week. It's the Japanese Grand Prix. It's sometimes been held at Fuji, but mostly here at the legendary Suzuka circuit. It's a 3.6 mile track with a fairly unique figure of eight layout. It's a driver's circuit. It's a hard one to get right. The S's, the Degna's Spoon and the High Speed 130R are all essential to get right if you're going to get a good lap time here. Current lap record is 131.540 set by Raikkonen in the McLaren in 2005. And it's the race in 2005 that adds to the legend of Kimi Raikkonen. If you're new to Formula 1, you may wonder why the Ferrari have this taciturn guy who usually finishes high in the points but is fairly unspectacular in getting there. Well, the answer is that he is a naturally gifted, fast driver. The years have perhaps blunted him slightly, but in 2005 he started towards the back of the grid in Japan, worked his way through the field and took the lead from Giancarlo Fisichella on the last lap. It was a tremendous race. He may have even smiled on the podium. He isn't part of the 10-year podium, though. That is Jensen Button in third, Lewis Hamilton in second, and Sebastian Vettel in first. And speaking of first place, Suzuka has also been the scene of championship deciders, with many world champions being crowned here, often in dramatic circumstances. I'm sure if you're listening to this, then you've already seen it, but if you haven't yet seen the excellent documentary Senna, then you most definitely should. Senna and Prost certainly had some controversial comings together here. It's Honda's home track, so how will McLaren fare this weekend? And speaking of engines, will Mercedes be double-checking every last nut and bolt in Lewis Hamilton's car? Let's find out with Andrew and Sean. And, well, it's been usual for us across the season to say Lewis Hamilton dominating practice, quality in the race. But I think it would be fair to say that, realistically, it was Nico Rosberg who dominated... Well, maybe dominates a little bit, bit of a strong word because he wasn't um, miles and miles ahead of Lewis, but he was certainly top of all of the the practice sessions, I believe, uh, and top of quali and yep. driving home in first place. Yep, it was uh, wire to wire, wasn't it? Just uh, never in danger uh, at any point throughout the weekend. Really, uh, did you get the impression that he wasn't in sort of complete control? The kind of performance we've come to expect from from Lewis over the over the last year or two, uh, the sort of Sebastian Vettel performance in the Red Bull just put it on pole, keep it simple, drive the optimal strategy, and you can't lose, and that's exactly what he did. So, wasn't the most uh, thrilling of drives, but it's effective and it's given him such a lead now at the top of the standings. 
Well, what's uh, what's he up to now? It's um... thirty three points clear with four races to go. Is it four? Or is it five? It's four. Mexico, United States, Brazil, and Abu Dhabi. So we've got four to go. He's thirty three points clear. So we have basically we've reached the point in the season where. Nico doesn't have to win any more Grand Prix and he can still be a world champion, basically. He can finish second every week and he, and he, uh, he wins the world championship. So we're at... Um, Lewis is drinking at the last chance saloon, basically, I think, in terms of uh, making it three on the bounce. If you were a betting man, you wouldn't get particularly high odds on Nico Rosberg winning his first world championship this season anymore. Uh, he does, like I say, if he comes second to Lewis every every week now, he, he takes the title home. So it's kind of out of Lewis's hands. Lewis can win every single week and can't guarantee that he becomes champion. For the first, I mean, and you know, given where he was, sort of post sort of, uh, mid-season break around the Spa time, who would have thought we'd be saying that with four races to go? It's been a remarkable sort of turn of events the last couple of months, but. It's Fair funny. Point. It's funny, really, isn't it? Because I suspect when you look back on the the um, season, and at this point, I'm kind of hoping Nico wins solely on the basis that I think he's done enough to deserve it, regardless of what Hamilton does in the last few races. Um, but it will make a really it's a really good story because it it swung really hard one way and then. It felt like it was swinging really hard the other way. You know, the the turnaround in points um, yeah, was so well, rapid from from Lewis that I mean, if you think when we went on the mid season break, I think Lewis was like a similar level of points ahead that Nico is ahead now, wasn't he? So it, it's completely swung in the second half of the season. You're absolutely right, and I think that's that is more interesting retrospectively than it feels. Watching it only because realistically one and two seem so easy for the Mercedes, so it's it's easy to uh, not be quite as enthralled with the racing. But realistically, how the title picture is working out is actually really, you know, quite quite an interesting race. And we've got four races to go, as you said. Nico only needs to finish second. But the interesting thing now becomes about other DNFs. Um, what happens when Lewis and Nico are side by side on the track? Can Nico now afford to be a bit more elbowy? Um, I mean, if you think about it, since he's come back from the mid-season break, he, he literally hasn't put a foot wrong. He won Belgium, he won Italy, he won Singapore, he won Japan. And in Malaysia, he finished third, but that's because he was tipped facing the wrong way by Sebastian Vettel into the first corner and drove a peach of a race to get it back there. So he's, he's, drove, he's, he's drove pretty much faultless uh Formula One driving for five consecutive races since we came back from from the break, which anybody who says he doesn't deserve to to become world champion isn't isn't looking through neutral eyes as far as I'm concerned. But of course the interesting thing about saying those kind of things is you can only say that and say, ah well, it's down to Lewis's mechanical issues. Well he's only had one total DNF. Um, where Rosberg had a chance to score points. Um, so even if you take that into account, he'd still be ahead of Lewis. So, you know, let's not pretend that, you know, 
in some way it's uh, it's been impossible for Lewis to be closer or ahead or any of those other bits and pieces. More difficult, possibly, than other seasons, but not impossible. And at the end of the day, uh, whether your teammate or your opponent has more or less mechanical trouble than, than you do, you have to go out and win the races that get you the points. And if Nicky goes on to have the most number of points at the end of the season, which seems more likely than now than it, it probably has at any other point during the season, um, then he deserves to be world champion. There's very few times where that probably isn't true um, in the history of Formula One, where you could literally sit there and say, the guy who happens to have gotten the most points didn't deserve the title. There's a couple out there where the result was so close and the person who's won it didn't win it, win more races than the, you know, the next guy. Um, and those I can at least have some sympathy with people saying, uh, well, he didn't win more races than the guy who came in second. So it's a bit hollow, isn't it? That, you know, he got the most second places and so he won. Um, but Nico's probably going to go on and, uh, you know, all things being equal by the look of things, probably win more races than Lewis this season. And, you know, that that's what decides titles, folks. It's not, um, it's no use, you know, saying, ah, but what if? Well, it didn't. And that's that's what happens every year. What if, you know, what if Nico doesn't have his uh, problems at the double pointer in Abu Dhabi and Lewis does? Then he's champion and by quite a long margin. And you go, well, that's, you know, that's the way it would have would have fallen and would have people said oh he's not a deserving champion because he got you know he won it with the double points or something like that people will find excuses if they want to find excuses but f1 has shown that realistically over the course of the season it, the you know the the driver who wins out generally wins out there's very very few times where that's not the case agreed and uh you know like uh I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's fine. That's all you need to say, John. That's, that's the only reason I have you on this goddamn show, so you can say I agree when I finished a five-minute monologue. <laughs> um, let's kind of skip to Lewis. Um, another starting problem for for Lewis Hamilton. Yep. Uh, he got given that it was a you know the last time he got out. It, he was told that it wasn't it wasn't driver error. There was a problem with the clutch, but can there always just be a problem with the clutch? Or if there is a problem with the clutch, then they can't have put it on. You know, they're not going to put it on one car and not on the other because it's just so hard to. You know, you can't say, ah, well, we'll put the dodgy clutch on Lewis because he'll definitely lose five exact places, and that's enough for what we need. He could have a clutch problem and stall the car on the grid and be, end up on, on, you know, in last place or being shunted up the back end by somebody and being completely out of the race. So there's no, you know, there's no special clutch that gives him a slightly worse start. It either works or it doesn't, uh, and it's probably the same well, clutch on both cars. So he, you know, I'm not suggesting that Nico has some amazing touch, but what probably on the ba- you know, the basis of what's in front of you, he's learnt to deal with how that clutch works. A little better than Lewis has. Were were people suggesting that that Lewis's clutch problems were internal? I think at this point, people in inverted commas are suggesting anything. Right. If, okay. if anything is wrong or anything happens to one car more than the other, it's because there is you know a conspiracy. They've you know uh, 
they've got the automatic clutch. I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, the, the teams can, you know, remotely do things on the car. And that just shows a basic lack of understanding of F1 because it's been a very long time since F1 cars were allowed to beam anything to them. They are allowed to beam from the car. They can't beam anything to the car. It's just not the way it works. There is no <laughs> return loop on the data that's passed back to the supercomputers in the pit lane. It's one-way traffic, folks, other than radio. It's the only thing. So unless they've got kit in there that's responding to voice-activated commands, secret code words, <laughs> then I'm afraid, folks, it's just dumb luck and driver error. Lewis seemed to take uh, take the blame, more or less, from the start. He did. Uh, give him that actually that he didn't he didn't seem to be searching for um answers i don't know whether that's because um <laughs> he'd had such a a bad time of it with the press that maybe he thought better of um stoking more fires like he did the <laughs> wow. week before um i'm going to say right now that i am not going to talk on air about snapchat gate uh, i have no desire for anybody to listen to the podcast and get their knickers in a twist about what I think about it. Um, I've tweeted it, so if you want to find out really what... And I'm pretty sure that you'd agree with, with my sentiments if you've been reading our Twitter page, Sean. That yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's what we feel, and that's that. It's not... Um, it's, it's just the kind of rubbish that F1 really doesn't need right now. Um, and you can lay that at whoever's door you want to say that it's rubbish, but it shouldn't be happening however you want to go about it. Um, so so what, did was... you make of, what about Lewis's race then? Well, Drops to eighth off the start. Takes blame for the start, whether it's his fault, whether it's the clutch's fault, whether it's a combination of the two. They can only they can answer that either way. He drops to eighth off the line. He's behind the Ferraris. He's behind the Red Bulls. Drives it well to get back up to third. Do you think he from that point on? Would you say it was quite um, performance from Lewis to get back up to third, or is it just where he should be in the power of that Mercedes? It, it reminded me a bit of I can't remember which race it was. It was one of the races where I think it was the race that Nicky came fifth in, and he he did really well up until a point, and then kind of seemed to plateau there didn't seem to be anything kind of forthcoming and i i kind of felt like that about this race in that um he had the speed at the point where he needed to get past ricardo raikkonen and in the end realistically just about vettel i know it ends up being much further on track because of the the random strategy calls but um he was realistically he was fighting vettel for kind of longer than he needed to to make sure he got out and I think yeah. that's really what then um, then meant that when he caught up to Max, um, nothing was there. It, he was on five five lap older tires by the time he gets to that point, and that kind of remind, reminded me of what happened to Rosberg in that Rosberg, you know, was down came back up and then ended up behind both of the Red Bulls and then couldn't pass. And people were saying, oh, well, Lewis would have passed them. And I think it just depends what kind of car you get up to that them at that point. And I think Lewis had been pushing hard. They'd obviously had the mechanical issues before, so maybe he's not got all of the power that he might have potentially wanted to use. Um, uh, and he just came back, back up against the back of a car that was fast enough in all of the right places to stop him going past. 
Uh, and it happens. It happens to the best drivers. They end up getting stuck stuck behind them. You can ask Mark Webber and Fernando Alonso what it's like to lose a championship being stuck behind. Yep. A there car. are there are worse. Uh, there are there you know there are people who have driven cars with a bigger discrepancy than between the Mercedes and the Red Bull not being able to get past. You know, like like perfect example. You know, Fernando Alonso the Ferrari behind the Vitaly Petrov powered Lotus, uh, or going back. Even further, there's always going to be cases where a more powerful car can't get past, or, or a perceived more powerful car can't get past a slightly slower car in front. And and, and the, the difference between the Red Bull and the Mercedes is not, you know, not that big. It is big. Over the course of a season, the Mercedes is going to win 90% of the Grand Prix versus the Red Bull. But in an on-track battle like that, it's not... Like they can just turn up and breeze past it in the way they could if it was a, a Sauber or or something like that. So, I mean, like you say, Max defended in all the right places. He was brilliant once again at using his um, you know, his power in the right places and all the tools that he did have available to him. He used correctly, got such a good drive out of um, out of the final chicane, so that Lewis, even though he was in one second of a of a gap, the DRS couldn't bring him close enough to pass, which was just the really surprising thing. He thought if he'd managed to get into DRS zone, that would that would make the difference and he and he would be able to get the move done. But even then he couldn't. So I I it became perfectly clear after sort of one, maybe two laps of Lewis being stuck there, it wasn't going to happen. Even even though he still had five, six, seven, eight laps to the end of the race, once he couldn't get it done the first or second time through that on around the circuit you kind of thought, if you can't get it done now, is it yeah. going to get any easier towards the end of the race? It's only going to get harder for him as his tyres continue to go off, etc. Uh, so, and we've seen that from the Mercedes uh, for, of both cars, you know, during, during the season, that just um, when they're not on, on premium strategy with the tyres and stuff, if they can't get the move done early, they seem to suffer quite hard being behind a car for any length of time. Yeah. The car does seem to go off, or whether it's the tyres going off with... It's made me wonder whether um, whatever clever strategy Merck have for dealing with the tyre pressures, um, and if you look at some of the amazing pictures that came out looking how Rosberg's car was uh, leaning and slanting down around some of the corners on the tyres, whether it's a case that that works great when they're out in clear air uh, and can deal with the tyre temperatures themselves, but being behind another car and whatever clever strategy it has just doesn't doesn't work and and just takes more life out of the tires trying to maintain those tire pressures than um uh, than if they can get past someone quick and get into a bit of clear air before you know letting them reset themselves and, and, and ready themselves for the next move um up until that point i thought lewis drove a, drove a pretty good race you know i, I think actually start. yeah it, it's worth saying that actually is that um he Pulled off some really good overtakes. And... He had to put in. He had to put in five or six, you know, quality laps to just, just to ensure that when the pit stops came around, he did have the gaps that he needed. And he did. He did jump the people that he needed to jump, particularly the Ferraris. In the, I was really surprised after the second stop the that stops. he came out so far ahead. I was just like, really? Where did that come from? Because he didn't if, look like he was doing it. But if he came out behind Vettel, I don't think it's a sure that he would have just breezed past him. Um, had Ferrari managed to get Vettel out in front of Lewis, I wonder if Vettel could have 
similarly to Max, being able to to use his toys at the right times and 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 maybe keep Lewis behind. I don't think he would have just uh, just breezed past him, but because Lewis got out in front of him, he was able to you know use the clean air to 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 build a gap uh, that that I don't think it necessarily reflected how easy it was for him to 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 leapfrog uh, Sebastian. But obviously, by doing that, like we say, he's, he's gone to caught up to Max and and not really had anything left at his disposal to to make the to get the job done for second. But other, but you know, damage limitation in terms of the the failure to get off the line from eighth to third. It was a pretty good drive, and you can't really complain given the start that you know he still managed to get on the podium. You know, any other car other than this this particular Mercedes car, if they're eighth after lap one and get it up to third, that's a, an outstanding effort. It's only because we're so accustomed to seeing Mercedes finishing one and two that we think, oh, he's not managed to get it back to second. That's rubbish. You know, <laughs> if it was anybody else, it's a brilliant effort. So, um, yeah, I think he obviously he's lost uh, he's lost ground on Nico. He looks like not gonna. Touchwood, you know, he's, he, he don't, it doesn't look like he's going to be world champion this year. But all things considered, that that was, you know, a decent, decent drive from Lewis from where from where he ended up. Um, Max's defense. Yep, I, uh, the, the the elephant in the room, as they say. What did you think then? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know. It was very similar to some of the moves he was making earlier on in the season, I felt, where in the slower corners, he was taking a line and then knowing he could make one move, making it very late, Um, which I didn't like, but is at least understandable about why you don't penalise people for doing that. As opposed to what he did in Spa, which I thought was reprehensible um, and he should have, you know, definitely have been spoken to harder about that because I think cutting up a car at the fastest point of the circuit on a, on a straight line is retarded. Um, and, you know, you, you can't do that. If he does it this way, then um, the chances are you're bumping side to side at lower speed. So the resultant of any accident is going to be much less probably both cars being able to walk away generally if you look at if you look at what happened between Raikkonen and Rosberg in the last race where yep. there was a fairly fairly hefty hit going into a corner and both cars were able to continue even if Kimmy's as he said after the race wasn't maybe in tip top condition but they could both continue and i think that's that's a big difference in terms of how you have to interpret um the severity of what somebody's done I would rather that he didn't leave his breaking moves so late because I think at some point somebody is going to um, somebody's going to call his bluff. But the problem is that he's not actually bluffing. He he will just do it. But somebody's going to do it at a, pl- a place where they've got enough speed to get alongside him, and it's going to cause an accident that was probably avoidable if he just moved a little sooner before the the braking zone. Um, I think part of the other problem is, is that I am not sure exactly whether, where the rules cover this because there's lots of stuff about saying you can make one move before the braking zone, 
I don't know, and I hope somebody with an encyclopedic knowledge of the rules can tell me this, whether there is actually a law that says you cannot move in the braking zone or whether it's one of those understood rules that you don't yeah. move under braking because it can cause accidents. I mean, that was uh, that was kind of Lewis's complaint on the radio more than anything, wasn't it? Immediately he just went, Max, Max moving under braking zone. He didn't say... Max, did, you know, cut me up or cut me off. Yeah, yeah, he said moved on the breaking. So I, I'm not 100 percent sure either. You know, if you don't know, I certainly don't know. You know the rules a little bit better than me. So, um, yeah, I mean, I thought it was it was on the edge, but it was just about okay for me. Uh, it certainly wasn't anywhere near as bad as the Kimi Räikkönen stuff at Spa, which was dangerous at 200 miles an hour, um, which could have caused a major accident. This is. Uh, Right on the line, but the kind of sort of aggressive defence that I'm not, I'm not against and wouldn't like to see punished. Uh, I thought it was fair, firm but fair, and uh, yeah, I think in the end, I mean, I'm sure you'll probably want to talk about it. Mercedes's appeal slash lack of appeal uh, probably reflected that that they, they they withdrew the appeal, didn't they? So well, I have a big talking point about that which yep. if you have been following us on Twitter, you'll have, I have. caught me picking up. I have, indeed. Um, let's talk about it now then, because whilst we're here. So, Mercedes put in a complaint about Max's driving. Lewis then tweets, some idiot <laughs> has put in a complaint. It's nothing to do with me. I asked them to take it back. Uh, the complaint is then withdrawn. Uh, Lewis then deletes said tweet and retweets something slightly different so that the word idiot is um, omitted from it. As I'm trawling through Twitter, uh, I happen to catch on a random site, and I'm, I'm going to apologise now to the person who tweeted it, because um, I should really shout out your your uh, Twitter handle um, for, for tweeting this out. But, um, is it Gary Connolly? I think it was Gary Connolly. He was on the stewards panel, alongside two other FIA-mandated um, uh People or two or three other uh, other people that make up the the stewarding panel. Um, they took a look at the incident. Uh, Gary Connolly said, uh, "Is it Gary Connolly or is it Do- was it Donnelly?" Now I'm getting <laughs> whoever it was. <laughs> I think I'm going to go Gary Connolly, and you somebody shut me down if I'm wrong. I don't care. Um, Gary Connolly was not happy that nobody had agreed with him. Uh, so on his own, the FIA-approved steward makes his way to the Mercedes garage. Um, the drivers have gone, as has Total Wolf. Total Wolf. Total Wolf have all buggered off from the circuit, leaving Paddy Lowe and one of the other higher-up bods at Mercedes in there. And he basically sits down and has a word with them and gets them to put in the challenge to Max Verstappen. So because he didn't get his way in his ruling, he's gone to the team uh, and told them to put in a complaint. And I think if that is true, um, and it's being it was a story broken by uh, Autobild, who I think are a fairly reputable uh, German sort of motorsports publication, I think. Um, if it is true, I have no idea why F1 isn't blowing up about that, because that's ridiculous. Um it would be the same as a referee coming up to a, a manager during a match and saying, um, 
I spotted one of the, you know, somebody's spotted one of the opposition opposition teams doing this. Make sure you complain about it after the match so that they get a, you know, a six match ban or something ridiculous, something like that. It's just like the 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 stewards, the people appointed by the governing body, have to be completely neutral. They can't be saying, "Well, I didn't get my way." The 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 way that it was set up meant that I didn't get to apply the penalty that I wanted to do. Therefore, I'm going to get the team to do it on my behalf. I, I think that's absolutely ridiculous. And again, if it's true, I hope that Gary Connolly is never allowed to steward another Formula One race because we cannot, we cannot go back to the stupid old days of Formula One, the um, the uh, Badastray days of Formula One, where if you knew the right people, you could get penalties and cars investigated and all those other bits and pieces and if you were the right you know if you looked right then you you got all the decisions your way and if you if you you know if you weren't the kind of person that they liked then too bad for your team <laughs> um and that is it it boggles my mind that that isn't absolutely everywhere uh, you know across the internet if it's true uh, and why it hasn't been picked up and investigated and denied by more people It's also brilliant because it means that essentially Lewis Hamilton called Paddy Lowe an idiot. Was it Paddy Lowe that? Well, it was Paddy Lowe and somebody else putting the complaint. Yeah. Was Total was Total wasn't there? Uh, and apparently it was Total Wolf as soon as he heard. Yeah, said don't quashed it. it. Yeah, and said, yeah. Just you know rescind this. Why don't we don't want to do this? How however much Lewis Hamilton had to do with it, I don't know or personally care. Maybe he he was the person that said get rid of it, but. He's probably already on his jet away to to Kanye's or something like that. No, to hang out with Justin Bieber. He's he's probably already <laughs> he's, he's he's forgotten. He's forgotten already. You know, he's on Snapchat. You know, it's <laughs> entirely possible. But yeah, I mean, I, I you've had your. I knew you wanted to bring it up, which is why I just let you uh, say what you had to say in there. I, I don't know that much about it. All what I know about the situation is what, I, what I've heard from you and what you've tweeted. So if it is the case, I just echo what you said. I mean, it's obviously ridiculous. Um, I, said, I, I, I agree with you. I'm surprised uh, this is true. And, you know, what? no smoke without fire, as they say. Why it hasn't been covered a little bit more? That does seem a bit curious, but I don't know. It's a bit of a very strange one, that, put it that way. You know, and like and like you say, the kind of thing we just don't need in the midst of uh you know, what's proven to be a pretty good championship fight. You know, we we don't need that kind of that kind of rubbish. So, so back to the actual race then. Let's 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 get away from this off track stuff. Uh, Vettelin fourth, who I think in a lot of ways actually had a fairly decent race. Um, they I... had to they had to try something a little bit different, didn't they? They hung him out on his on his uh, you know for his on his first set of uh, on his uh, second set of tires compared to everybody else. He um, <coughs> he did twenty two laps on his hard tires, where if you look, it only gets less as you go above. So Lewis yep. did twenty, um, Max did eighteen, and, and Nico only did seventeen laps on his second stint. They did more in the last stint, which seemed uh, like it was the the sensible way to go. Yeah, it seemed yeah, to be I, like I, they were faster in the middle part of the 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 Grand Prix than the end. Um, I would agree with that. It looked like what Nico and Max did was more or less the sort of optimum way to to run the race. It allowed them to have a longer stint 
on the final stint when the fuel was down and you know everything was rubbered in and was probably uh, given that Nico won the race was the 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 most sensible strategy. Vettel, as you say, yeah, they hung him out on the the second stint. They had to try something. I think I think they seen that Lewis was mighty quick at that phase in the Grand Prix, putting in laps in clear air. It's a difficult one because had they pitted him earlier, he might have been able to get out um, ahead of Lewis. Uh, they they kind of missed the boat a little bit. They were too slow to react. And once they were too slow to react, they had to try something then because it was clearly, okay, we're not going to get out ahead of Lewis, so what do we do? They've gone, okay, well, we'll hang out the second stint, we'll extend it, and then we'll strip the softs on and see if we can compete with Lewis because we'll be on the quicker tyre. Yeah. Not a bad plan in theory, um, but ultimately he had pretty much won two laps coming out of the pits where he might have been able to pass Lewis using the, the life out of the new tyre, but these uh, these softs just weren't able to to hang on for, for much longer than that. And uh, it was clear pretty pretty quickly that the he wasn't going to be able to get past, even with a quicker tyre on. Lewis had enough to defend, and then soon enough, that soft tire started to go off, and 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 that was it for Seb, and he ended up in a pretty comfortable fourth position ahead of uh, Kimi, but not able to not able to challenge Raikkonen, uh, sorry Lewis even, uh, which was a bit of a shame because I thought a podium might have been uh, might have been on the cards at one stage, particularly with um, Lewis's bad start. I thought okay, we're on for a good Ferrari result here, surely can get a podium. So it was a bit disappointing to come fourth and fifth, you know, not for the first time this season the Ferraris have been in that spot, just outside the podium. Uh, a bit frustrating, but oh, a bit, you know, good to see Vettel at least a little bit back to form, having what's been an indifferent sort of middle part of the season for him. You know, there's been plenty of talk about he's unhappy. You know, is he going? Is is the team unhappy with him? Is he unhappy with the team? Is he going to hang around? All of this kind of sideshow stuff that, uh, that you read about week in, week out with Sebastian. And, um, you know, he needed a good weekend here. A, a podium would have been the you know the best result that we could have hoped for. Never wasn't quite to be, but still a decent enough uh, performance from him. Would have maybe liked to have seen him be a bit more aggressive in that middle stint pit earlier, try and get track position on Lewis and then uh, and then hang on to the, to the third, try and defend. That's the way I'd have maybe done the strategy, but that's hindsight. Yeah, I think as it as it turned out, the evolution of the track actually got worse um, as it went on. Um, I don't think any of the tyres were working well near the end. Um, it would have been interesting to see if there wasn't anybody on the mediums, I think, um, who strapped them on anywhere near the end of the race, really. Um, actually, no, that's not true, because most of the Force Indians finished on the mediums. Um they were the and, only and, team really in the top ten that, that that tried the mediums. Everybody went soft hard, and I thought they were doing all right near the end of the race. So I, it would have been interesting, I think, maybe to have seen them um, seen them go aggressive, like you say, pit, pitted for the hard tires um, earlier, uh, and then gone to the mediums and tried to do, do a longer, faster stint on the mediums than they would have done on yeah. the hard. But there was a couple of things that they maybe could have done, but I think ultimately. I think they, they went with the way that the, the strategy time. went, didn't they? They went the way of soft, hard, and then were in no man's land, so had to go soft to, to try and make any difference. Yeah, I mean, they they possibly should have tried to preempt Lewis's stop. Lewis was able to undercut him, undercut Sebastian, 
and and that's what got him the difference because I noticed that particularly this weekend, you know, the undercut seemed to work really well. You were coming in and and, and putting in a lap time while whilst your rival was still out on the old tires, and you were gaining like at least a second a lap, possibly more, by coming in uh, just one or two laps earlier. The, the the difference between a fresh set of boots and a and a worn set of boots seemed to be pretty prominent uh, this week. So. That, you know, only a couple of laps for Sebastian later than Lewis was enough to lose maybe five, six seconds. And we've not even touched on the fact that the traffic this weekend on the narrow uh, Suzuka circuit seemed to be a problem for everybody. Vettel was moaning, Verstappen was moaning, you know. So, you know, caught in a, caught in a spot of traffic, coupled with Lewis coming in two laps earlier. And before he'd know it, he'd lost six, seven, eight seconds. And that was enough to put him behind. Had they maybe gone, let's be aggressive and stop stop as early as we can do to to maintain track position, they might have been able to... Lewis might have been able to catch and pass on track, but at least that way you're making him catch and pass as opposed to just letting him through in the stops. And once he's through in the stops, no matter what the Ferrari does, it isn't really going to be able to pass the Mercedes. So I'd have liked to have seen that. I was a bit frustrated, but like I say, it's not the worst result in the world. Fourth and fifth, it's just a bit same old, same old with Ferrari, isn't it? That's what we've been yeah. saying all season. You know, fourth and fifth is not really what we want. We want to see them on the podium, so. when, especially when you consider that Max was able to to get and hold on to second. I think it he was it, able to keep Lewis behind. So why couldn't Sebastian have yeah. tried something similar? You know, yeah. Um, a solid, another solid race for Kimi, who seems to be in a little bit of his um, little bit of a groove at the moment, heading. You know. Um, definitely, um, definitely firing better than you would say that he has done in his whole second spell at Ferrari. Probably driving the best he has done in a couple of seasons. You would have to say. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, and he finishes ahead of, and I think he'd be very pleased to finish ahead of Daniel Ricciardo, who, um, I think was having engine problems from quali onwards. He said he was bleeding power, wasn't he? So, uh, something not particularly happy with his Red Bull. But even so. You know, if if Max is second, then making sure that you stay ahead of Daniel is um, a, a very good result, I think. Um... Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it's coming down to those two battling out for second place, isn't it? We um, in the constructors, we should, we should have touched on when we covered the Mercedes. Congratulations to them, a third oh, consecutive yes. um, well constructors championship. You know, they have built a wonderful race car. So, as much as it can be frustrating for the neutral fan like ourselves. Or sort sort of neutral anyway. <laughs> um, the uh, they have built a great car and they they deserve to be to be world champions on the back of it. But the battle for second is between uh, Ferrari and Red Bull, so it was good to see Kimi stay ahead of Danny, like you said. I don't know. Danny seemed to have a funny race, didn't he? You know, it just didn't ever seem to quite get it going, which nah. I, I think happens to drivers every now and again, can't you? You can just get caught in funny situations. Um, the car doesn't feel quite right after you know quality felt good, but then you get into the race and it doesn't feel quite the same. The track rubbers in differently. Uh, you know there was rain in between, and just maybe, just maybe the, just the car just feeling just went went away from him. But and it does it happens to every single driver, doesn't it? Really, that they just get races where you just go, hmm, I don't really know why he wasn't that fast this race, and he'll come back the next race and then go, yep, bang, pots it, you know, third on the grid, and you're like, oh, oh, he's back then. Um, especially Daniel, who's who's more than capable of bouncing back from from poor results. Um, I was very impressed um, with the Force Indies uh, this this race. Um, 
I feel that they were aggressive this race and it paid off and yep. I like seeing that from a midfield team. Um, and I think it's because they've got a proper battle with Williams going on. And I think it's actually motivated them to push harder when I think in a lot of other seasons they've been um, kind of best of the rest. So they haven't really had anybody from behind challenging them, um, you know, especially with, you know, McLaren's disappearance, um, Sauber being absolutely nowhere uh, and the Toro Rosso's being, you know, sort of on and off. It's kind of give them a little space on the grid that they didn't, you know, didn't have to worry too much about. But now they've got a chance to be better, uh, you know, and, and make that cash and uh, get those points. Uh, I think it's good to see somebody go, hey, do you know what? Everybody's going to go for this kind of stint on the hard tyre seconds. And we know that the people we're racing against are going to go long. Let's do short. Let's let's take the life out of the tyres and then, you know, then see where we are with the the medium come the, come the end of the race and do the stints that we know that they can do because that's what the Williamses have done. Um, they, yeah, absolutely. They basically did the... Uh, outside of stint three, they basically did the, the Rosberg strategy. You know, uh, they went soft uh, in the first stint and uh, hard on the second stint, but pitted around it exactly, exactly the same time as, as Nico. Now, if, you know, Nico's got all the clean air in the world in front of him, so he's going to drive the most optimum strategy. So they, they 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 they've done that. They've copied that, and then it's worked perfectly for them. As instead of doing the the thing we would associate with the Force India of doing the contrary strategy, mm-hmm. you know, because they're a perceived minnow team. Who oh, we'll we'll do the contrary strategy and hope hope to nick a few points by doing that. They've went almost no no. We are you know we're dining out at the top table now. We're doing the optimum strategy, and 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 we're going to earn our points on merit, not because we've hung out a, a hard tire for 45 laps or something and, and stolen eighth or ninth you know they're 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 battling with the big boys on you know on on absolute merit and, and it's good to see because i like both the drivers as i've mentioned plenty of times you know i think they've got an excellent driver lineup and it's good to see them being able to produce this kind of performance uh you know, I, I like it when they do the the contrary strategies. When Perez, you know, bolts on a set of tires for a ridiculous period of time and sees where he ends up, because it's interesting and fun to watch. But they do do it because they feel that that's their only way of of nabbing a few points. Whereas this was a bit more like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do what the the optimum strategy is, and 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 we're gonna have enough pace to to be able to do that and 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 be secure. And the knowledge that we're we're comfortable, and and that's what they were, and they were so far ahead of the Williamses. I mean, I know the Williamses, though they did the contrary strategy, didn't they? And and they ended up ninth and tenth, and the Force Indians ended up uh, ahead of them. So it's almost like those two teams have flipped in and where they are on the grid, almost in terms of what they're doing, which you wouldn't have thought would um, have happened at the start of the season. No, um, it's certainly. Not something I think that you'd have um, you'd have easily predicted. I mean, they were a they were a good chunk of time ahead of the Williams. It's just nearly thirty. No, it's more than thirty seconds actually, isn't it? The Williamses didn't seem to. They did the they did a different strategy, and it just seemed to not work. <laughs> it, it managed to pop them ahead of cars, which you'd have said are slower than which them they should anyway. Have been. Uh, yeah. So you're like, well. <laughs> Okay then, guys. Well, what have you what have you won from this strategy? Not very much, by the look of things. Um, 
It really just kept kept them where they were, really, isn't it? I think in terms of you know the two by two ness of how everything's going. Um, Haas had obviously had the miracle qualifying, um, which was interesting, and I think goes to show you where the the Haas is not good in technical slow corners and it's not great in straights but give it lots of sort of medium speed corners and it's probably balanced well enough to do well there so um yeah if yeah if you think about the 30 seconds that there was between um the force indies and williams uh grosjean was only a second behind bottas come the end of the race so they've really gone nowhere fast I think uh, the strategy just, it was the wrong strategy, I think, ultimately. They ended up pretty much a pit stop down on the Force Indias when it all evened out, which uh, is reflected in the times. Like, it just wasn't, it wasn't the right one. But, you know, they tried something different. So, I can't really, I mean, I like to, I like to see teams try something different. Like I say, it's interesting. It's always, it's always been interesting when, when guys like Perez have done that. But uh, I know it's almost uh, uh, it suggests to me like a negative mentality. Yes, like we have to try something different because we don't we're not convinced that we, we can, can we can beat the Force India on pace. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's where the Force India has been for the last two or three seasons, and it's been fun. But now they're you know that's what I'm saying. They they're like, well, no, we we've got a car that can compete on pace, so let's do it. And that's what's pleasing to see, you know. Um, so diving past the Williams, uh, like I said, we come to Roman Grosjean in the Haas, uh, in, with Haas's best result for uh, a little while. Although the Gutierrez has had an eleventh fairly recently, hasn't he? He's had uh, a few, has he not? Is that not his favourite position? No, it might have been possibly. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Suzuka seeming at least in qualifying to suit them. Although um, Gutierrez or whatever happened to Esteban, I, I have no idea. Um, but a good result for Grosjean. Um, his brakes stayed with them for a whole entire race, which is probably going to make him a bit happier. He'll be pleased about that. Yeah, you wouldn't fancy losing the brakes in a 130R, would you? No, or spoon. Or, or anywhere. <laughs> Although they don't take 130R flat pretty much most of the time, don't they? So. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, point remains. Don't want to see him careering off at 100 miles an hour into the, into the barrier. So, um, And he that. finished uh, just ahead of Julian Palmer in the Renault, who did... Um, uh, interesting strategy, really, in that um, he did medium and hard and seemed to make it work in the Renault. He seemed to be quicker near the end of the race, uh, having still done 27 laps on his, his hard tyres. Um, and he still didn't do as many laps on the medians as Valtteri Bottas did. So it's, it's interesting that he, he pitted one lap earlier, but pitted on the same lap for his um, for his hard tyres. So uh, a, a good result from, from Jolien, who's, who's showing at least a little bit of form. Yep. Um, come the end of the season, which he, you know, he needs to do. Um, He's beaten. I mean, you can almost look at the grid there. The top ten and the second ten is almost a, it's almost two tiers, isn't it? You know, you got you know everybody from Bottas forward is like is like one group of cars that are able to compete with each other, and that second group uh, is almost like a second formula almost. <laughs> yeah. So with with the fact, McLaren yo-yoing in and out. Yeah, there's some depend <laughs> on the circuit. They could be in either half, but. But it's almost like a split formula there. There's such a discrepancy between the sort of Renaults, Toro Rosso's, Sauber's, Hasses, 
and then everybody and, and the Mercedes-powered cars, and then everybody <laughs> above them, and and like you see the McLarens, they do, they're not quite sure where they belong yet. That depending on the circuit, like they looked at, like they were making progress, and then this weekend happened. So, I mean, ultimately they will be in the top half, you would assume, but this weekend they weren't. And and if you did look at it that way, in, in terms of two sort of almost split formulas, Grosjean's won his race, and and Palmer's finished second. So yeah. It's good results from those two guys. Uh, poor results from sort of Magnussen and 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 you know Carlos Sainz and, and well, the I, don't know. I, I I wouldn't say actually that uh, that Grosjean, Palmer, Kvyat, or Magnussen, uh, or in fact Ericsson had bad results. It's everybody after that had bad results. Really. I'm only I, the only reason I stuck Magnussen in there was just in comparison to Palmer because you know you're competing with your teammates well, I mean, at I, that I, level. So. I see that, what you mean there. In comparison to Palmer, it's not as good a result. But on the whole, it's, yeah, it's not. For, for that Renault, I think that's a reasonable yeah, result. Yeah, I, I, not not disagreeing. Just, you know, you'd, Magnussen will be going into every weekend going, first things first, I need to beat my teammate. You know, like, especially when the drives are so up for grabs at that, you know, at that particular team. You want to be beating your teammate week in, week out. And if you're doing that week in, week out, then you can't do much more. So and that's another reason I included uh, included Kevin in there, but yeah, if you, like so Palmer and Grosjean out of that sort of that cost are definitely half decent drives, and and like you say, even even Danny in uh, in thirteenth. Let's um, let's make Carly happy by having a quick chat about Renault. Well, I thought you might want to because I know you've got a bit of a bee in your bonnet <laughs> about the potential. Starting um, to really grind my gears. The potential of uh, Magnussen not being in the seat. And to be fair, I've got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about it as well because I think it's equally ridiculous if he doesn't retain his drive. But um, what, do you, what do you have to say? Well, the press has now firmly caught hold of Hulkenberg going to Renault. Uh, I think that's a that's a good call for Renault. Let's let's be clear about this in that um, I rate Nico Hulkenberg very highly. I've been arguing with somebody tonight who is, who's suggested somehow that Perez has stonked all over um, Hulkenberg since he's been in. Did you know that last season, uh, Nico Hulkenberg had six DNFs? Well, it's five DNFs and a DNS. Do you want to know how many DNFs Sergio Perez had? How many? One. Okay. So if anybody wants to talk about which team has a conspiracy theory about making one drive and win, that you need to be talking to Force India. Uh, and this season is the same. Um, Hulkenberg has had three DNFs. Do you know how many Perez has had? One, two, maybe? Zero. Zero? Wow. He's had zero DNFs all Z- season. Zero so DNFs all season. Yep. That right. Wow. <laughs> so, Although I have seen Nico put it in the wall a couple of times. Well, fault. But, uh, you know, yeah, I get what you're saying. At, at the end of the day, we're we're looking at that car and the results that the drivers get and those two drivers put that car anywhere between 10th and 7th on a regular basis flicking it between yep Perez has had two exceptional results this season don't get me wrong the two third places um ironically if you look at where they came in in Monaco and, and Baku both when a Mercedes driver wasn't on top of their car um and in a very short tight twisty circuit so maybe that's something that plays to to Perez's strengths but other than those two results, they've been very, very equal across all of the past two seasons, and the only that, that's the only reason why there is big differences in points between them. 
Um, so, you know, again, I rate Nico very highly. He's 29 now, so I think he does need to be making a move. He needs to be doing something, I think, with his career. I don't think another season in the Force India, as well as it could do, will necessarily give him anything. I think he's got to take um, the trademarked Alonso Gambit and yep. go to Renault yeah, and see so what that, that car does. That's what I was about to say then, because you're saying you think it's a good move for Renault, and I agree, but that's what that, my next point would have been, well, is it a good move for Nico Hulkenberg? I think it's a move he has to make. It will it will pan out to either be a good or a bad move, depending it, on it, what happens. It, it, it's the McLaren buying a Honda engine, isn't it? And hoping that, it, that in the long term it pays off, even though in the short term there might be a little bit of pain. Yeah, if he could yeah. get two two or three seasons probably at Renault if he's good enough uh, and stays quick, uh, by which point the Renault might suddenly turn up with a world championship car, which they have done in the past. So, let, you know, it's certainly not beyond the bounds of uh, yep. possibility. I wonder then if they have managed to entice him in, if they've been able to say to him, look, we're going to be good next season. Just, you know, he, yeah, don't look has, at this season. Has he seen something in them and their pitch to him? Because he's he's at the Force India, and that's Force India scoring points every single week. And as we've just praised him highly for, you know, basically Leapfrog and Williams is the best of the rest. He's there. He knows what that Force India team is capable of. Has he something? Has has Renault been able to pitch to him and say, "Look, we know you're in the Force India, but look what we've got coming next season." And he's gone, "Okay, I'm listening," kind of thing. You know, it just makes me think maybe, yeah, okay. If if, if Nico's on board with the Renault next season, maybe they could be a force. You know. The other interesting thing is obviously that Nico is technically contracted to Force India next year as well. So, so he doesn't to, have yeah. to leave. He's chosen to if he goes. Uh, and it's still an if at the moment. Um, yep. But that then leads to say, okay, so that probably means Julian Palmer leaves the team because if you're going to swap one of those two drivers, you probably at this point have to say, Magnussen has done better than Julian. Julian has done a sterling job. What a great guy. And if another team can pick him up, I would be happy to see him stay in F1 because I think he's done enough to show that he's got what it takes to, to, to be in there and hang with the big boys. But in the same way that, you know, Magnussen got the, the shove from McLaren because better drivers were available, if that's the case, then Palmer's got to go. But then the story goes on to further to say that somehow Esteban Ocon is going to take the next seat. And I can't sit there and work out a guy who has... Um, only beaten Pascal Wehrlein in one race this season. Um, the only other times he's finished ahead of him is because Pascal hasn't finished. Um, to replace a guy with um, experience of Formula One, but he's also a young and incredibly talented driver. It's just it's just mind-boggling to say, okay, well, but we prefer a Frenchman. And it's just like, well, that's really good. Have a crap Frenchman then. You know, get anybody in. Get Alain Prost to come back and drive here then. <laughs> like, if being French is all that matters, then you're you're idiots. You are not yep. in the position right now to sit there and say we prefer to have a Frenchman in the drive. You've got to, You've got to be taking the best drivers out there. And there's no reason why Kevin Magnussen, McLaren prodigy, brought through the team, was clearly thought enough well enough by a team like McLaren to be their driver. Um, and take over the car and, and, and run it, is not good enough to run next season's Renault, which in the best of the world is, is not going to go from where it is to winning the championship. Um, it just it, it boggles my mind that Esteban Ocon is, after half a season in a manner, 
Renault's first choice for a second driver. Uh, it absolutely blows my mind. Um, especially given that he's a Mercedes young driver. It's not like they've even really got anything other than that vague, odd Mercedes-Renault off-track partnership that kind of happens as to say, yeah, it's a good idea to have a Mercedes young driver in it. They're just helping their rivals bring on another driver. I don't know why you'd bother doing that. You know, stick with Magnussen, who could be your driver for the next six or seven years if you come good and he fulfills the promise that he quite clearly seems to have. Yeah, I agree 100%. If Magnussen isn't in that Renault next year, I, I won't be quite as annoyed as you, I don't think, but I will certainly be annoyed, yeah. It's it's madness to me. Um, it will actually affect my feeling for the team. I will be, at the moment, I'm really quite happy to see Renault do well. You know, I'd rather they didn't do better than McLarens, but, you know, when Renault do well, I am happy for them and happy to see them do well. But if they start doing stupid things like this, I start to lose. It's the same with Sauber. I really liked Sauber. They were always a team that I was happy to see win when Perez was, you know, getting those uh, amazing results from in that grey Sauber. Like I was over the moon. But it took like two seasons of Manisha Counterborn running that team into the ground for me to go, you are a joke now. I don't care about you. And yep. Renault, I agree. Uh, I felt the same about Sauber as well. Renault are on the verge of doing that for me as well if they start doing stupid stuff like this. It's just like, <laughs> Don't, you know, you're looking a gift horse in the mouth. That's exactly what you're doing and going, nah, I'm going to go for this pig. <laughs> Not that Ocon's a pig. He's, he's probably a fairly talented driver. Do you know what I mean? He's doing all right in the, in the, in the manner, but he, he's nowhere near ready for that, for that role in Renault. And Kevin Magnussen quite clearly is uh, and can do it and has been doing it this season. Yep. Quite agree. Interesting will be if Hulkenberg goes though, because that opens up a drive and a, and a point score. <laughs> well, uh, ironically, ah. the the rumours are that it's Pascal Verline going to to Force India, Mercedes connection, which mm. <laughs> means Mana won't have any drivers <laughs> next season. <laughs> I mean, Verline's done okay in the in the Mana, and uh, I guess Mercedes obviously think quite highly of him, so I wouldn't hate that. But I don't know; it doesn't it doesn't really excite me. If Kevin, you know, if Kevin Magnussen's getting dropped, that's who I'd be looking to go in. I'd be saying, well, look, you know, the, exactly. the real choices you've got hanging around is maybe Danny Kvyat from Toro Rosso. You're never going to prize Carlos Sainz away from Toro Rosso, not from yep. Red Bull. They're just not going to get... He's clearly capable of filling in a, a top-level seat, so they will keep him as long as they can possibly keep him. Um, uh, Kevin Magnussen, if he's being kicked out of Renault... And, and that's really it. You're not pulling anybody else into a Force India who's probably better than those those drivers, really. Um, you know, Jensen Button's not going to you. He's <laughs> technically half available for a season, but it's still not going to not going to happen. Um, uh, you know, who else is is really out there? Uh, but it, I, I think it's mental that these drivers that have had a, you know really a uh, is Pascal had two se- will have had two seasons by the end of did he drive all of last season? I don't remember. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think so. <laughs> so two, two, two seasons in a terrible car, uh, or one season in a terrible car, and one season in this manner, which is. Uh, no, this is his first season. Is it first full season? Because he's done some other driving, isn't he? I, I thought he'd stepped in for somebody. He's been in DTM. No, this is his first full ah, season. Okay, so a season and half a season apparently means that you should be driving in one of the top teams in Formula 1. Shoot me now. 
it, it, it reeks of just you know Mercedes influence. You know, every every team wants to be pals with Mercedes, so they get the best. You know, Force India, they 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 they've got Mercedes edge in the back of their car. Their their performance is heavily reliant upon getting the best tech from Mercedes for that engine. So they Mercedes say, put your get a guy in your car. They're going to say, okay, yes, sir. You know, it's, that is what it is. It's the nature of Formula One. But if someone like Magnussen finds himself out of a seat because of that kind of thing, then it will be extremely, extremely frustrating for, for me as a fan of the sport who wants to see the best young drivers in the sport. Don't want to see guys getting turfed out after two seasons when they clearly have more to give. Well, it, it certainly leads credence that, that some of these young drivers are going to end up going to Formula E, which is now fast becoming, you know, an actual alternative to to being in a Formula One car, at least in terms of um, exposure and stuff. Uh, I think F1 shoots itself in the foot if it continues to turf out drivers left, right and centre, allowing them to go to other series and then lighting up those series also that they can, you know, move uh, unproven drivers into seats because of their nationality or because uh, they happen to be um, driving, uh, they happen to be under contract or sponsored by uh, the engine manufacturers. Has uh, Felipe Massa's seat been filled yet? It hasn't, has it? Uh, it's Lance Stroll though, isn't it? Like, we're, we're 90% sure that's nailed on that um, Lance Stroll has, has picked up that because we're not hearing anybody challenging that anymore. So... I think the answer is that's probably filled and nobody's really looking at it as a as a vacancy anymore. Lance Stroll, God, he's young. <laughs> Age 17, born in 1998. Crikey. He's not, he's not even, he wasn't even born when Damon Hill won his world championship. <laughs> <laughs> it does feel kind of like that should be some sort of test, acid test. <laughs> Can you remember when Murray Walker said he had a lump in his throat? The answer is no. <laughs> go away. <laughs> Unbelievable. You had to watch it on VCR. He's younger Piss than off. Max. If you're, if you're younger than Max, then <laughs> you're <Yes>. too young. <laughs> well, that must mean that if he he must be over 18 then by the time next season runs around because you're yeah, not allowed be, to be as young as Max, are you anymore? I think you have he, to be 18. He'll be, he'll be 18 by the time the season kicks off. But yeah. Mental. Um, back to back to Japan whilst we shake our heads in disbelief um, which we could probably do right now because Marcus Ericsson, Marcus Ericsson finishes ahead of uh, two McLarens um, in possibly the shock of the season uh, he did the uh, William strategy of medium and then hard and, and hanging it out um, again if anybody's looking for a conspiracy it's, it's Marcus Ericsson finishing where he does and then uh, Felipe Nasa struggling to stay ahead of the Manners and Esteban Gutierrez. It's uh, yeah, uncle. Down at that that end of the grid, you know, it's you get funny things like that happening, just because they're you know they're Four. they're being lapped all the time. <laughs> they're being lapped all the time, so they could end up losing five six seconds one lap. Uh, getting out of the way of the leaders and then it wrecks the strategy and you know just i take it with a, a minor pinch of salt really um the races aren't necessarily truly run uh bad we came for the mclarens though i mean i can't 
can't, can't really defend that. Um, no. It's a real shame that uh, that the the Honda powered car seems to hate Suzuka so much. It's a couple of seasons in a row now that it hasn't worked out one little bit for them there. I'm not quite sure why that is. You, you probably do you have. Um, you have some nice, neat explanation as to why it just doesn't work out for McLaren around here, or what? what? Suzuka's a very funny circuit because it is both power but also cornering because it's a lot of medium, medium corners or uh, medium to high speed corners. Uh, there's not a lot of, of what you would, what you we kind of used to think of in the Rebel era is the middle sector where Rebel rule was were always amazing, which was always the tight, twisty Herman Tilke sector. It doesn't really contain anything like that. It's got the it's got the chicane. Um, and a couple of, uh, and I think one other r- vaguely slow corner, but it's not. It, it's flat out a lot, and you're asking the car to continue to be very quick um, all through all of the corners. Whereas if you compare that to somewhere like Spa, which has some of the longest bits requiring the car to be flat out, but it has a, a twisty infield section. And if you remember, that's where the McLaren was really very good in Spa. It was able to keep cars behind it through that section. Um, uh, to give it enough speed to stay ahead of faster cars through the bit where it was slower. Uh, but there's nowhere like that at Suzuka. It's all the car going fast pretty much all of the time. Uh, and that's not where the McLaren is. It either it either ne- it needs corners where it can go in, use the grip that the car has and get off the corner as well to be able to extract what that car can do at the moment and suzuka is not that place in the same way that the red as we kind of jokingly said at the start that the red bull wing contains lots of fast straights and very few corners therefore making it the worst place to be a red bull which is so heavily aero dependent so um it's just it's the literal horses for courses um yep as a former betting man you would probably appreciate that analogy i would have thought absolutely um (laughs) You are going to turn up at some circuits and they're not going to be very good for you. And this is sadly not the circuit for um, a down-on-power Honda engine in a McLaren that needs needs a better engine to fully develop that car. Next season, I'm, I'm very interested to see because I think with what they can do and the gains that they're saying, stunning is the word that I'm being told in various articles about the sheer downforce and of the of the next year's regulations <clears throat> might well play better even if honda can't get the engine quite up to speed so uh next season we might see a bit of them but i think they might possibly still turn up to suzuka, suzuka and struggle on that basis it might be worth having a little bet at the end of the season <clears throat> on fernando alonso or uh I know somebody like that, somebody who's not in a championship winning car this season to win the world championship next season because the formula is going to change so drastically with regulations. It, it, it almost resets everything, or, or it feels like we're we're going to be in line for for almost a reset. So it could be could be anything, you know. The Mercedes might be the third or fourth quickest car next season when we've been so used to. Used to being dominant in the last couple of years, you know, we're 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 going to go through a period of um, regulation changes. Where it's, it's it's in the same way that we did with the in the change to the hybrid engines, where Mercedes were able to come from from relative not obscurity because they were always there thereabouts, but they were never a championship challenging car. And then click of a fingers, overnight bang, they had a car that was a second a lap faster. I just wonder if next season a team might turn up in in Melbourne and have 
from from being you know a midfield average runner suddenly just find something with these new regulations that no one else has spotted like LeBron did in 2009 and just suddenly be like okay the, now the Williams is the best car on the grid or bang now the Ferrari is a second a lap quicker or the McLaren you know it, it has that kind of feeling to it that we had with LeBron in 2009 and we had with Mercedes and uh, when the hybrid engines came so it might be uh, worth keeping an eye very closely on the very first sort of test in the winter just to see who's 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 you know who's really got a handle on this because it, it could be en- next season could be anything uh I, I continue to talk about who finished but i can't literally remember anything about what happened to any of their races uh so yeah it went to alonso uh signs button nasa gutierrez who um god knows what happened to him because he went from qualifying in the top 10 to finishing um uh, third from last. Uh, Ocon beats Verline for the first time on track, uh, so that's something for for Ocon to to build on. Um, they ran yeah, almost exactly the same session. In fact, they pitted on the same lap um, for their uh, second stint. Interestingly, because um, the uh, Force Indies did that as well, didn't they? They pitted for their second stint on the same lap. We didn't see it for the Manners, um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, it's probably the most interesting thing they did all weekend. Uh, <laughs> um, 20, 22 out of twenty two finishes. Um, I believe I heard earlier that that was the the second year in a row that that's happened at Suzuka, which that has to be a little bit of a record. Yeah. Sure. I can't think of any other track that's had two consecutive races with no DNFs. That's that's got to be a record. Statisticians out there. Tweet us and tell us if I'm wrong, but that that, that feels like it must be a record. <laughs> Two consecutive races at the, at the same track with no DNFs. No, that's that's a, that's a sheer testament to these these damn engineers that have managed to produce bulletproof cars again. You know, remembering the very first uh, hybrid engine race. Oh, there's <laughs> going to be three finishers. Nobody knows what's happening. These engines are a nightmare. No, they can't get them to last longer than five laps. And now look. Yeah. Can't get a single DNF for love no money, <laughs> especially on a track like Suzuka as well. It's like, a high you know, engine, high engine circuit. So yeah, tight twist track it was too, and there. you know it's you know plenty of it's narrow. You got to pass back markers, and that. it's remarkable that there's been no no accidents, no no anything. So god damn it, these cars are too good, man. We need them. We need them to be worse. We need them <laughs> to be horrible to drive. We need them to. <laughs> Break down all the time. That will throw us up some exciting Grand Prix. That's what we want. <laughs> uh, one thing to to talk about is that uh, currently the Pirelli tire test is going on uh, in the yes. wet, uh, which is um, a at, source of something. Uh, Barcelona, Spa? isn't it? Uh, sorry, Barcelona. That's what I meant. Catalonia. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it doesn't sound very much like Spa, if I'm honest. Sure, but there you go. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said Spa. I'm think- I must be thinking of a Spanish. That's it. Spa. Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. That's what I was. I'm gonna say, where is Fernando <laughs> along? He's from Spain. <laughs> Spain. Yeah. That's what I meant. Anyway, I knew it was there. <laughs> In English, from a book. Uh, yes. Um, Pirelli are currently pushing for a second test in uh, Bahrain or Abu Dhabi, somewhere in Middle Eastern, uh, because they're saying it's really stupid that we have our tyre testing in Europe in the winter when it rains, and therefore we can't get a lot of data on the tyres, so we want another test. Uh, but a lot of the teams, uh, well, some some of the teams are split on whether they 
want to do it and who should pick up the bill for um uh for for attending to the test um a lot of teams want the extra running uh which isn't surprising given that the probably the biggest thing to happen to tires since since grooved tires um is coming in with the return of big fat wide back tires i'm excited and actually (laughs) equally fat wide front tires really um have you seen any of the pictures of them going around with them yeah i've seen the yeah they do look good don't they yeah i'm excited and i think they'll look even better when the they're on the right cars next year with the the change to the arrows and stuff that's coming next season. I think it's going to slightly longer. I think because they they do look like they're taking they're kind of swamping in the car this year's yeah. car a little bit. I think. Well, that, next season we're going to have a much lower rear wing, but lower but wider. So I yeah. think it will suit more. I would I would assume. So I guess it'll make them look a, a little bit more like the um, uh, Indy car champ car yeah. ones of this it's season, just, which are very just... low and wide. That's how I like my, my race cars to look. So I'm I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, it should be. Uh, I can't wait for next season to be honest. Uh, just talking about the reg changes that are coming and the tire changes, all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm I'm super super excited for next season. I'm really really positive about what um, from a regulation standpoint where F1 is going next season. So Touchwood plants I, out the way. I hope so in my head anyway. I kind of feel that this is the kind of regulation changes that F1 should throw into the mix every three or four years or something to, to, to change things up. Do something like and say, okay, um, so from next season, cars have got to be much longer or something along those lines, And but we're going to change the arrow in this way and try and leave the technical stuff fairly, um, fairly similar year on year to allow teams to develop the engines to the point where there's very little difference between them. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that promotes... Uh, the teams being being closer on track, you don't get these huge variances between the teams. If you allow the regulations of the engine stuff to remain uh, the same for a decent period of time, uh, whereas they've continually been tinkering them year after year, you know, tokens this year, no tokens this year, engine freezes, not engine freezes, um, you know, and one big massive change from, you know, V8 um, multi-litre cars to 1.6 turbos with hybrid systems in them it's such a was such a massive change the the situation we end up in ourselves in now is, is seems kind of um kind of inevitable whereas at least you kind of felt with the rebel stuff that if they'd wanted to they could have probably changed the error regulation significantly enough to cause red bull a headache uh, and allow the other teams to develop their own solutions with the new regulations to maybe change things around it didn't require the engine change to to stop rebel dominating although that was one of the net effects so i'm kind of hoping that this and if the if the fia sticks to this and keeps the the guts of the car fairly similar um we'll see a better evolution of the sport than we have the last sort of three years where um the bleeding edge of the engines hasn't even nearly i think been reached um which has meant that the gaps have stayed the same relatively so you know but you know maybe a ferrari's faster than a red bull first year and then red bull faster the next year because of the the renault engine change but still uh i'm super excited about it i'm super excited to see the cars look a bit more aggressive um the wide tires will really really help that i think if we can um if we can kind of slightly avoid the squashed pancake look that's kind of happened to f1 over the last few years where the the front is very thin and then the back sort of is, is 
minuscule as you can possibly make it. I think it makes the cars look a bit um, uh, flaccid. Is the best <laughs> word I can I can think of it without without making it uh, sort of too much of a phallic reference. But they they look kind of um, <laughs> do, droopy and melted <laughs> and like. <laughs> I'm just looking at a picture of one now. Yeah, no, I know what I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't think they look as fast as they could do. Um, whereas you think about to the cut back to the sort of cars of the nineties and the early two thousands, and even with some of the ridiculous aero like the uh, the Viking horns that you saw oh. in some of the cars there. The they... worst era, I hate, I hate the sort of two thousand and five to two thousand and eight. I hate, I hate it. See when I see classic F one on the Sky F one channel, and it's like. Fernando Alonso's championship victories or Lewis's championship victories or uh, Kimi Raikkonen's, anything from that era, just bits hanging off the side of the cars everywhere. Like I, I just want to go around and just break them off. You know, They've got so much nonsense. But I, th- I think the, the bulk of those cars made them look quite aggressively fast. I think they, they looked, looked chunky and like yeah, they, were, they were going uh, fast. I like, hate the chunkiness. I don't like the uh, chunkiness at all. So. I can understand that, the aero stuff, but I, I've, I've always just kind of felt like they looked like there was a uh, big beast being contained in the back, uh, which there essentially was because they were going as pretty much as fast as a Formula One car's ever gone. Um, but yeah, not not necessarily the most aesthetically <laughs> pleasing cars, but I thought they looked aggressive, and I think that's that's slightly come out of F one as we've gone remove the back of the car i'd like to see more at the back of the car and make it look <laughs> like it's being pushed forward by something than so- at the moment where it's like. There's an airbox, and then everything disappears into the exhaust. It's the front wings as well. I've just had a quick Google image search from two th- 2008 F1 cars. The amount of nonsense on the front wings as well. Oh, they're horrendous. They're absolutely horrendous. Definitely the worst-looking F1 cars. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't want to say of all time because there's been some pretty pretty funny ones over the over history. But oh, I, do you know what? As a, as there a was general... the, the McLaren that had ironically something that looks vaguely like what the Formula E cars have on, where they had the front wing, where part of the front wing went under the nose, and then a part yeah, of it went yeah. above it. Yeah, I hate it. It's oh, terrible. Actually, that, that, is, that is horrific. But <laughs> I will still say that the back of the cars are big and wide, and yeah, I think it makes them look the back, yeah. like there's a lot of grunt in this car. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, the lines are ruined by the amount of crud that's on them. But <laughs> I think in terms of you said if I said which car looks like it should go faster, that's the kind of car that I'm I'm thinking of something at the back that's you know yeah no I see what you're saying it is it's it's the bits it's the hanging off bits <laughs> that I just want to go I just want to walk around one with a saw and it's that BMW sound with the stupid lot. with the stupid <laughs> horns on the top of it and you're just like uh, I don't believe that that really helped that, that car but it, it ended up being on about half the other cars as well so it clearly must have done something terrible. But yes, uh, very, very excited for next season. Uh, like I say, it's just going to be a bit of a reset, you know. We've done the Mercedes dominance now, you know. Another seat, like I don't like. We need something. We need something to to change it a little bit. So it should be good. Touch yeah. wood, they don't just turn up with <laughs> another second and a half <laughs> lap advantage in Australia in, in March next year. I'm going to send you a picture. Comparing the 2008 to the 2009 cars, 
and you see the yeah, difference. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that because I Google imaged it as well. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I much prefer the. I look at the front of the 2009 car looks better, but if you took at the back, yeah, I'm, I'm like, give me the back of that of the 2008 car with the nose of the 2009 car on it, and I'm like, yes, I am behind that all the way. Something that looks like a monster at the back, but then is kind of sleek and aerodynamic yeah. at the front. You can absolutely see how tightly and packaged it is at the back of the the 2009 car. So they've tried to fit everything into a tiny little square there. The um, it's the I'm, shape I'm, of the I'm, floor I'm, as well. Like the floor yeah. hasn't changed in like left to right and and all the other bits and pieces. It's literally just that in the t- by 2009 the floor width stays the same. Uh, but the thickness then becomes paper thin up until yep. the smallest point that they can get the the car in. And I like the um, I like a longer, narrow uh, sort of lower down rear wing. You know these last yeah. pieces have had a, a very high narrow rear wing. So I prefer the I prefer the the lower long rear wing, which I think we're going back to next season as well. So all good, I think is is our point of view at least aesthetically for next year. So that's something. Um, what race is next? Is it Austin? It is. I think, yeah, it is. Yeah, I have to think about that. I'm it's, good. That's uh, one of my favourite races weekend, now. Not this weekend, but next weekend. But next weekend. Yeah. Uh, I yeah, really like that I circuit. Mean, we're at, so, yeah, it's very good, actually. We're at the point in the season where Nico, if Nico wins this race and, and Lewis doesn't get a result, we're, 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 at, we're, going to, we're going to almost reach a stage where we're saying... So what does Nico need to do to wrap the title up, kind of thing, ma- mathematically, you know? So like, if Nico wins here, uh, you know, and Lewis comes second, you'd have to. I mean, it's already, I think it's already almost over. But we're getting to that point where we're going to be crowning the champion sooner rather than later. I think, um, just a matter of of when. As long as Nico doesn't DNF, it looks like he just needs to. He he can play the percentages now. He can. Yeah. Uh, he can he, if he's in second to Lewis, he doesn't need to take any dandy risks into the first corner like he maybe would have done no. at the start of the season, and like he was getting a bit of a reputation for doing actually at the start of the season. So it'll be interesting to see if he can if he'll end up in a position where when he's second, he'll um, hang back and try and look after his ta- tires and just keep the gap, um, and then wait to see if he can do, you know, when if Lewis is in front and going to get the first pit stop. Whether if he can save his tires and really ring them out for his, you know, uh, for Lewis's outlap and uh, come in and get out again, whether that'll be interesting, that'll keep it closer than it is now, where where when he was behind, he was having to push harder just to try and stay because he wanted to overtake him as soon as possible and get ahead for all the pit stops and stuff. But when it doesn't matter to you whether you finish first or second, you like you say, you can play the percentage, you can play the long game and say. Um, Rather than take the first chance I get, I'm going to wait until I get the best chance that I can get. And if that means that I push him harder on his tyres by keeping a distance and not giving him the gap that he needs to, you know, give him all the stuff is when we feel like we're, when I know the laps that we're, because he's going to know the laps that they want to box on. So all he's got to do is just before those laps, push in hard, get the gap really low uh, and, you know, force Lewis to be having to go in quick, maybe going a bit hotter into the pit lane, he messes up a stop and that gives him all the impetus he needs to get ahead and doesn't even have to challenge on track. So yep. um, it's all there to be flavored and I think these last four races will be very interesting. I kind of <laughs> hope that he doesn't wrap it up soon. I hope we 
we we get first and seconds for the next couple of races in such a way that it leaves it open that the last two races uh, are open for the championship. I'd hate it to be that Lewis DNFs in the next race and, the, uh, and then, um, you know, finishes eighth in the race after that. And we're pretty much saying, well, it's going to require Nico to DNF and finish in 15th <laughs> in the last race for this to be any kind of, you know, thing. And Lewis has got to win both. I hope it's close, but I hope that still, you know, I'm still hoping that Nico can go into those races without feeling he's completely under pressure. Um, It'll be interesting to see how um, what Lewis Hamilton turns up in Austin. You know, it's been all the negative press that's been said. What kind of mentality is he going to have now coming into Austin with a, a sizable uh, deficit to, to overhaul? Is he going to be Lewis Hamilton double world champion, triple world champion, or is he going to be Lewis Hamilton spoilt boy of the last week and a half, two weeks? So it'll be interesting to see what kind of attitude he's got on him in America. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that wraps it up nicely for the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, guys. I hope uh, we've made the most of the Japanese Grand Prix for you. Um, as always, you can digest this podcast in a myriad number of ways. Uh, the first is from our website, which is lastlappodcast.co.uk. Uh, we will always post the episodes up there first, so if you're really in a hurry to go and get them, you'll find them there ready to be streamed or downloaded, usually with, um, you know, usually within the week after the race. Um, we'll always put them up onto iTunes or onto TuneIn, so you can access them through both of those, or on the Stitcher website. We're also um, putting our feed up onto there. Um, we have a Twitter account where you can hear uh, most of me, but also Sean as well, um, blather about F1 and what things are getting on our nerves or what things we're really enjoying. Um, we do like to interact with you guys, so please you know, get down there, uh, follow us um, to keep up with the latest episodes as well as everything that we think about it and to you know, talk to us and give us your feedback on either the podcasts or F1 or whatever else is going on in the news. Uh, we have a Facebook site as well. It's probably not as well used as we probably should, but we do put all the latest episodes up there so you can always be alerted on Facebook when something comes up. And we do try to pop the occasional interesting news story or funny F1 meme when it comes up on there. Uh, we put a couple up from um, Praying Lewis uh, that, that came up that were quite good. Um, so, yeah, give us a like on there. It's nice, nice to see you guys there. And, again, you can always contact us on there. Uh, about anything F1 or podcast related. So again, thank you very much for listening. We will see you in a couple of weeks' time after Austin. Take care, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.